passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Episode 148, a major episode on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. It is finally that time of the year. College basketball takes center stage with the NCAA tournament finally upon us. Selection Sunday was yesterday. And if you're looking to wager this year, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the updated odds and info, along with great contests, including bracket contests. We have a chance to take home a top prize. Head over to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get started. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 148 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Dress it up and make it real for me. Eskimo, the coolest DJ in the world. Whatever that for you. Dirty something in Spill a day to get my mind blown. Dress it up and go to NASA. 200 miles on the dash. Got a roll of pound up a gas. Switch the lanes in the Grand Rapids. We the one that kept it cool without it being TG and dark acting. Shooting the end like a film in a movie. Don't let them have We ballin' like the Marsh Madness. All these cops shooting getting tragic. Only one to live in lavish. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It is episode 148 for the love of the game. It is Monday after Selection Sunday, and Tom Brady is a jerk. A grade A jerk trying to and successfully cuckolding and stealing Selection Sunday by unretiring. We'll get to him in a second, but wow, what a couple of days in sports. Since last Thursday night, the night I flew to Israel for a few days, and yes, I'm coming to you from the Holy Land right now, the podcast does not take vacation. Well, yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened, an absolutely jam-packed couple of days with news and highlights. So let's dive right in before we get to discussing what happened Selection Sunday, the bracket with the recurring guest. You know who's coming on because we talked last week. So first... Major League Baseball is back. The players and the owners come to an agreement. A few things they've agreed upon in terms of rule changes, because I don't want to bore you with the finance stuff. And plus, I haven't read enough about it lately. But there will be a six-team playoff. Top two teams get a bye. The three division winners and then, you know, three wild card teams. There will be a universal DH starting in the 2023 season. There will be no more defensive shifts, meaning... There has to be two players on each side of second base. That will start the 2023 season. Major League Baseball is back. It's great if you're a Met fan. It's not as great if you're a Yankee fan. 
I know that is really weird for me to say, but that's the God's honest truth right now. I'm glad that the owners and the players got together and made an agreement because it was looking for a second like it was going to get really, really ugly, really, really ugly. And baseball of all the sports can't afford really, really ugly. So speaking of the Yankees, they made a trade today. Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez are out to the Twins for Josh Donaldson, Ben Rutbert, and catcher, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. So he's going to play shortstop now. Apparently he's a good athlete, good defensively. That's fine. As for the rest of the trade, like Josh Donaldson's been a great player. If you're getting the Twins version, not very good. But the, the bottom line is, is I don't really think this helps the Yankees that much. It really doesn't, okay? I know Josh Donaldson's war was better than Gary Sanchez and Gio Rochella's combined war, whatever. Uh, that's fine. Great. All right. Wonderful. Josh Donaldson's another right-handed hitter who hits home runs and not much else. Yeah, he's a tough guy. Yeah, he can be a good presence in the locker room for a team that definitely leads a kick in the pants. But in terms of getting better on the field, all right, the Yankees needed to get better defensively in the infield. They needed to upgrade their athleticism and speed, and they needed to have left-handed hitters that are not Joey Gallo, especially with Anthony Rizzo being a potentially free agent. So right now where it stands, okay? So if Donaldson's going to play third, and we'll see if he can stay healthy, right? So now you have DJ LeMayu. He's going to play a mix between first, second, or third. Glaber Torres, it's at second base because he can't play shortstop. We've seen that already. So like you're still one guy too many if you're trying to bring back Anthony Rizzo or trying to sign Freddie Freeman because apparently they're still in the mix. I don't think that's going to happen. And if you don't sign either of those two guys, then you don't have a left-handed hitting presence in your lineup except for Joey Gallo. And Joey Gallo sucks, okay? So this trade, unless there are other trades that go along with it, other moves, does not help the Yankees, if at all. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. And they're taking on money. Donaldson's got a big contract. Like, why not just sign free agents at that point? It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I don't think Gary Sanchez, as much of as negative as he became, was that much of a negative where you have to pay that kind of premium to take on a guy that has a terrible contract. It's weird. Weird trade to me. Hopefully there are more moves for the Yankees because if this is it, this ain't it, and it's definitely not enough. Okay, so that's Major League Baseball. On to the NBA. Two quick things on the NBA. One, so you know I had to talk about it, right? Thursday night, this past Thursday night, it was the most anticipated game of the regular season. The Brooklyn Nets were heading to Philadelphia to play the New Look 76ers, the New Look Nets against the New Look 76ers. James Harden, who quit on Brooklyn, got himself to Philly. He was facing his own team. And what do you know, in a big game, James Harden shit down his leg again. Three for 17, 11 points, looked completely lost, looked completely disinterested. I've been telling you this. I've been telling you this. And I watched most of the first half on the plane. And I then when I couldn't watch it anymore due to the geolocation of where I was, I watched the full 10-minute recap. Okay. Joel Embiid did not have a great game, but he, you could tell that he was about it, right? He was about that life. 
He wanted it, okay? He didn't play great, but he wanted it. He was aggressive, 15 for 19 from the free throw line. Say what you want about the free throws, but he looked like he cared. He looked like he wanted to be there, and he looked like he was up for the challenge. Kevin Durant damn sure looked like he was up for the challenge, okay? And he was getting a little testy and a little petty, and I loved every second of it. And when him and Joel Embiid are going back and forth, and you can tell that Kevin Durant does not like the Sixers team and does not really care for James Harden anymore, you can tell. And it is great. This kind of sports hatred is great. And say what you want about Kyrie Irving. And I'm not a Kyrie Irving fan. Drives me fucking bonkers. But he about that life too, okay? He's about it. He wanted to emasculate James Harden emasculate him to the point where he deed James Harden up actually cared on defense and looks pretty good doing it. James Harden is not that guy. He's not that guy. And if you don't want to take my word for it, if you don't respect my basketball opinion and my basketball knowledge, which you should, because I'm usually always right. I would say I'm batting, you know, at a 95% clip of being right about things, but don't take my word for it. Zach Lowe chronicled it on his podcast. All the James Harden big game and playoff failures. Bill Simmons talked about it. Ryan Rosillo, who I think is the best in the business. He's been on this kick for a long time. Philly fans, it's not happening with James Harden. I'm sorry. It's not. It's just not happening. Now, is Embiid good enough where he can maybe overcome? Sure possible but for all the great players and James Harden yeah he's a great player he won an MVP award he's put up monster stats but for all the great players James Harden's like Carl Malone that in every big game when it matters he's nowhere to be found and honestly Harden's resume is worse than Carl Malone's resume and that's saying something so I'd like to tell you that I told you so, well, I am telling you I told you so, and I will continue to tell you I told you so. James Harden ain't about the life, okay? He ain't about the life. And when everybody was trying to get chippy and be in the mix, you know, maybe mix it up a little bit, maybe a fight would break out. James Harden wanted nowhere to be found. And of course, after they're getting shellacked, he's getting something massaged on the bench like he's hurt again. Guy's a bum when it matters most, okay? A bum in any big game he never ever shows up. So this is a preview of what's going to happen in the playoffs. And I said it weeks ago. I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. It's just not happening with James Harden, Philly fans. You mortgaged the asset for a guy who doesn't deliver when it matters most. You should have held your powder dry. Yeah. Bradley Beal got hurt. We talked about it, but it's real easy to look real good against the Minnesota Timberwolves on a Tuesday night. And against the Knicks, and then all of a sudden, in the biggest regular season game of the year, three for 17, 11 points. And looking completely, completely disinterested. From one guy who never shows up when it matters most and looks disinterested to another guy who was all intensity, all heart, and Kevin Garnett, Jersey retirement in Boston. And if you just watch the clips, it was just amazing. Just incredible. So kudos to you, KG. You're the man. You're everything that Lakers fans wishes Anthony Davis was and more. What an awesome player. And it was just a great moment. You know, he squashed the beef with Ray Allen. He, Paul Pierce, and Ray had a nice moment. 
Really, really good stuff. Okay, so last thing before we bring on Jordan to talk about the bracket and do a little March Madness preview. The king that is the NFL stays kings. So there were a lot of big-time quarterback news. So we'll start with what happened first. Aaron Rodgers, who was predominantly unhappy, has been bitching and complaining constantly. I'm going to leave Green Bay. I'm going to leave Green Bay. I want out. I want out. Well, he re-signed four years, $50 million a year, over $200 million, $153 million guaranteed. I don't know what he's complaining about. And he gets to play in a really weak NFC. Then there was Russell Wilson who was traded to the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos who are rumored to be in the mix for Aaron Rodgers. Well, they trade for Russell Wilson. The trade looks like the Broncos get Russell Wilson in a fourth round pick for two first round picks, two second round picks, tight end Noah Fant and defensive lineman Shelby Harris go to the Seattle Seahawks. To me, this is a win for the Broncos. I'm higher on Russell Wilson the most. I know he was hurt last year. I think Pete Carroll did everything in his power to neuter Russell Wilson and neuter his talents. And he's one of those dudes that matter, okay? If you have a great roster, a great young roster that is looking for a QB since Peyton Manning retired, then this is a no-brainer. Yeah, I know the AFC is a gauntlet. That division is stacked. And Denver may be the third best team. But I think Denver can be a playoff team. And if you're the Broncos, you got to do it. Like, kudos to them for going all in, that they're not scared of Patrick Mahomes. They're not scared that they're in the same division as Justin Herbert. They're not scared of Derek Carr. They're not scared that the AFC may run through Buffalo. They're going for it. Good for them. And as for the Seattle Seahawks, well, it was the end of an era. Uh, Be happy that it happened. Don't be sad that it's over. And it's a nice haul. It's a nice haul. Unfortunately for them, that there's not a great quarterback in this draft that they're going to take, but who knows? We'll see what happens, how they nail those picks. Third, Deshaun Watson was cleared of all criminal charges, so he's going to play this year. The civil cases are still pending, so but he's for sure going to play this year, and the trade is coming soon. I saw Carolina Panthers are in the mix. The Saints are in the mix. Just another really awesome quarterback being back in the mix. So that's exciting. We'll see what happens with his civil cases. And lastly, as I mentioned before, Tom Brady. Tom Brady is back. The tweet almost broke the internet. I thought I was going to go to bed after watching the selection show. Because again, I'm six hours ahead. And then Tom Brady decides that he's coming back. Completely, completely took over that Sunday evening. And yeah, there are rumors they wanted to go to San Francisco. I think he still may want to go to San Francisco, but Tampa was like, we're not letting you out of your contract. So Tom Brady is running it back again. Can't stay away. Can't stay away. And I don't blame him. The guy's getting paid a lot of money and he's still really, really good at what he does. So welcome back, Tom Brady. Uh, Well, what more can I say? His resume is cemented. And uh, it'll be nice watching him play another year. With that said, that's a little bit of a recap of what happened the last couple of days, a packed last couple of days in terms of headlines. And uh, let's bring on Jordan Marks to talk about March Madness in just a matter of moments. So obviously, you know who we're bringing back on. Second week in a row, he's a little mad at Tom Brady that Tom Brady decided to cuck his Sunday, his selection Sunday. Jordan, we have brackets out. We got what to talk about. What's good, bud? It's the most wonderful time of the year. It truly is. It's, it was amazing to get the full field yesterday, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. So let's get, get into it. 
on a scale of one to 10, before we start, how mad at you at Tom Brady right now? <laughs> I'm almost not even surprised. I mean, he's a billionaire married to a supermodel, whatever. He's an egomaniac. It is what it is. <laughs> Listen, he's, he's just, he's just a monster. He's uh, yeah. But when, when that came out, I mean, that news almost broke Twitter, as I said in my uh, my monologue, and it's unfortunate because we cherish Selection Sunday. We cherish exactly. it. It should be we should be talking about storylines and draws and Cinderellas and and you know the conference championships and things like that. And I'm talking about it. I just have Adam Schefter on my screen. What the heck's going on here? It's Selection yeah, Sunday. It, Come on. So we're gonna not talk about Tom Brady anymore. So I would say that you're. Madness in the level is at a nine, and we'll just leave it at that. All right, so the first reaction when you saw the bracket, obviously we record, sometimes we record immediately after. This year we decided to take a couple of hours to digest. So after digesting the field, what were your first reactions uh, for what you saw? Now, and a secondary question is, the Sunday games, the conference championship games that, that end on Sunday right before the selection comes out. Do those really matter unless it's a team stealing a bid? So first, what were your initial reactions? Second, do the conference tournament championship games actually matter? Okay, so first, first, actually, before I go any further, I realize we talk about this every year and we talk about um, – selection committee and what goes what they do right and what they do wrong and then we dive in but i just want to briefly touch upon the criteria in which they which they use so in 2020 they went to the net system obviously there was no 2020 tournament but they went to what's called the net system um, which replaced the old like strength of schedule and rpi system which and and now brings in more computer numbers which we have an insurmountable amount of them beyond just Kempom and Sagarin, which are the probably the most popular ones, but um, which essentially boils down to two components. You have raw wins and losses, and then you have your computer metrics, right? And then from there, the teams are ranked um, by their numbers and their wins and losses are sorted into quadrants. So I'm gonna say the word quadrant a lot, but quadrant one is the most difficult of the contests on your schedule. So home games would be where your opponents are ranked one through 30, neutral one through 50, away, a road, true road contest, like one through 75. So four quadrants, you want to rack up as many wins in the first and second quadrants, and you want to avoid losses at all costs in the third and fourth quadrants. Hell, you don't even want to really be playing that many games in the third and fourth quadrants um, because it shows a, less, a slighter strength of schedule. So that's just a primer. Do we now, like this system as opposed to the old way? Is it less I, I, ambiguous? I, 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 I think we do. I think we do. I think it's it's foolish now to avoid the computer metrics. Um, they're they're a part of every team's planning of games, and they clearly should be a part. They clearly should be a part of the selection committee process. Now we don't want to overuse computers because wins and losses matter. So I think combining these two into a net based systems like they have now is the best way. And then taking venue in is huge. I think that it's so hard to win on the road. And when they didn't have that as part of the um, process, it was foolish, I think, especially in college basketball. So before, before we continue just on this, because we touched on it a little bit last week about the mid-major, right? And 
the predicament that they're in. Does this system help the mid-major? Because for me, it sounds like it doesn't, like it squeezes them out even more. It, 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 yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, they're always going to be squeezed out, right? It, it, it was extremely Right, but just a matter of degree. Right, right. right. So it, it, it was difficult for a mid-major to, to get an at-large bid. Um, and we're going to speak about some of them in a bit uh, where they kind of got shafted on seed line and things like that. Um, but I don't know if it's because of the net system. When you're a mid-major, uh, either you're going to schedule really difficult in the non-con um, and put yourself at a risk to, you know, just having to win your conference tournament. But for the most part, if you don't win your conference tournament, you're screwed anyway. So um, that, that's, that's my thoughts on that. So going back to your initial question, for, for me, the focus right off the bat was obviously my own motivations which my alma mater, whether they would be in the field. So I was fairly confident from the ways that the, the past weekend went with regards to the bubble that they'd be in the field, but whether it was a playing game or not, turns out they were emphatically in the field. They, thanks to strong computer numbers, quality wins, top three strength of schedule. Um, but in terms of the bracket itself, Wait, hold on. You, don't, you don't think the, the, the preseason ranking and, and the brand had anything to do with it? No, and you're going to, and people may maybe say I'm biased, but I, I, I really don't think so. I, I really, yes, we were, we had 17 and 14, but if you break down those games, the 14 losses were really all in quadrant one and quadrant two. So we don't, we didn't play a lot of games outside the first two quadrants at all. So it's a top three strength of schedule in the country. There's, you know, 355 division one teams. So we are playing a really difficult schedule and we still have a ton of quad one wins. So that, that when you look at them against teams that were left out of the field or teams that were put in Dayton, like Wyoming, Indiana, whatever, it, it, you can see why Michigan was emphatically in the field. Now, and, the big, and the Big Ten got the most number of bids. Like we kind absolutely. of assumed that they were, but you respect the depth of that conference if, you know, if you're going to go by these metrics. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, and then you asked on the Sunday game, right? So the, the Sunday game, I think it's stupid. Uh, the answer is no. I don't think they matter. I think the committee the committee starts to get together on a Wednesday and they start building a bracket. They build an S curve, right? They rank the teams that they think one through sixty eight, and then you play. You know, the one one seed plays the worst two seed, et cetera, right? Um, and I don't think that they're going to make any big changes based on those Sunday games. So um, I actually think it would be actually pretty exciting if they put some of those. Uh, mid-major conference championships on Sunday to have the last those last spots just to be earned right. um, versus like versus like a week week and a half prior. Um, but the Big Ten and SEC championship game never have anything to do um, with the the actual field, um, and and we kind of saw that right. Um, we saw that with Tennessee, and and we can talk about that in a sec. But so then why why are we doing it this way? Why are we devaluing the you know, I guess the initial postseason of, you know, your conference tournament, like that should be something that we should be putting stock into. Cause if it doesn't uh -huh. matter towards seeding, or if it doesn't matter towards getting bids, unless you're a team like Richmond, which comes out of nowhere to win its conference and steals sure. an at large bid from somebody else. Like I, I just don't, I don't understand why we can't make the matter a little bit more or at least shift the schedule around so that it's not right. You know, right before the committee makes a, makes a decision where they've already made their decision. I agree. And 
Listen, I, there's, there's a point where I think that the conference tournaments should matter, but then there's also the argument that, well, you have to look at the season long resume for sure. And you do, but this thing with Tennessee is a joke. I mean, that I, I, I am giving the, the committee, if you want me to give them a grade, I'm giving them like a B, B minus, because I don't really have a gripe with the field itself, but Tennessee to be um, on the three line, um, it, it, it's stupid. And um, they, Tennessee should be a two seed. So if we're going to look at it, I'm going to really look at it juxtaposed to Duke, who I think should not be a two seed. I think Duke should be a three seed. So Tennessee itself, 10 wins in quadrant one, 15 and seven in the first two quadrants and no quadrant three or quadrant four losses, meaning that they really played a tough schedule and they won all the games they were supposed to. And they have a ton of really impressive victories. Duke, on the other hand, only six wins in quadrant one, 12 and five in the first two quadrants, and they took a quad three bad loss. So I'm not saying Duke is bad. I'm just saying Tennessee should absolutely be ranked over them, and Tennessee won their conference championship. Well, not just that. Tennessee beat Kentucky twice, and Kentucky's a two seed. So that makes no sense. I'm okay with Duke being a two because Duke's like, I know we go strictly by quadrant ones, but like not all quadrant one wins are equal, right? So when Duke beats Gonzaga, who is the number one overall seed, like that has to be weighted a little bit more. Like I get that. But if Kentucky loses to Tennessee twice, I don't see how Kentucky can justifiably be a two seed and Tennessee be a three seed. Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh well, I, I'm, I'm saying Kentucky and Tennessee should both be two seeds. I'm saying Duke should be a three seed. I mean, you could say that Duke beat Gonzaga, but Tennessee beat Arizona. So, like, right. it, it's still it's still super impressive. Kentucky, I thought they were definitely deserving of a two seed, probably even, again, higher than Tennessee, which I'm, I'm fine with. Um, Tennessee, Kentucky itself potentially should have been on the one seed line, but we knew that wasn't going to happen because Saturday night we knew who the one seeds were going to be, and that was kind of locked in. But if Kentucky, if, if the committee really looked deep into Kentucky's resume and you take out the games that they don't have Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler, um, Kentucky's a one seed. They're probably not losing those games because when Kentucky's operating at full strength, they're one of the most, they're one of the four most impressive teams in the country. Um, and I, I further, I'm even going to go deeper on Kentucky because Kentucky, I think, got a little bit screwed with their draw because across the um, across the, the bracket um, on the Saturday-Sunday matchup is um, Murray State. And granted, Murray State has to beat uh, San Francisco, and San Francisco's a, a, a good team, the Dons. They have a good backcourt. Um, but Murray State is a top 25 team on, on Kempom. This is a lot like what happened with Loyola last year where they beat Illinois, and everybody regarded Loyola as a good team, but again – getting shafted in those lower conferences. Um, but Murray State is a top 25 team on Kempom. They went 30 and two this year. So they don't lose games. They won the Ohio Valley. Now I'm not going to pick them to beat Kentucky because I just said Kentucky is a super impressive team. But Murray State is three hours from Indianapolis, just like just as is Lexington. It's an in-state rivalry. It's a team, an experienced team. It's just, it feels that Murray State, if anything, was underseeded here. So Kentucky kind of got a little screwed there. So that's my bit on Kentucky. <laughs> so let, let's go right there, right? We, we basically just started that. Um, besides for Kentucky being underseeded, potentially, besides for Tennessee being underseeded, um, 
Did you have any issues with any of the one seeds being overseeded? Uh, I know you mentioned Duke being overseeded as a two. Were there any others that were, you know, that jumped out to you that were just like too high or got too I much respect? I, I know you just mentioned Murray State not getting enough respect. I don't think there was anything. I, I, I guess the only other gripe I really had, um, uh, and, and this is so small, and it's not about a seed line thing because I was mostly fine with the seed lines. Um, I think I would have left Notre Dame out of the field and put Texas A&M in. And, and this goes back to the conference tournament conversation. I mean, Texas A&M was awesome uh, this weekend in the SEC tournament. And meanwhile, so if you look at Notre Dame, who, who got in and they'll play in Dayton, um, they're 21 and 10, which is, again, if you look at their raw wins and losses. That's really solid. That looks like a tournament team. But you went two and eight in quad one. Um, 18 of their 31 games were played in the third and fourth quadrant. So it's 60% of your games are against trash. Okay. And that includes a, a terrible loss at Boston College, which is about 155, 155th team in the rankings. So contrasting that with Texas AM playing in what I think is the second best conference in America um, with wins against Auburn and Arkansas on back to back days. Uh, they went nine and 10 in the first two quadrants. I just think that is so obvious that the Aggies should be in the field and the Irish should have been left in the NIT. I thought besides for, for that, and that got all the headlines yesterday, Baylor is a one seed was, was a little questionable. Now, again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's not the same team. They're not completely healthy right now, but if, if we're, trying to put this bracket together is not like, uh, you know, a reward for the entire season, but it has to take into account a little bit of what's going on now. I thought they could have been bumped off the one. Um, that was my thing. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's the, per, that's the team that I would say would be most vulnerable um, to, to getting bumped off the one for Kentucky. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it, this team went 26 and six, uh, they won the they won the, the they won the best conference right they they won the regular season title um, and yeah they have they have a super impressive non conference win um, against Villanova so uh, yes they're not fully healthy and we'll see that play out because they whether you're the best two or the worst one I'm not sure how big of a difference it really right. makes because you're kind of in the same in the same region so let's go to the um, the one seeds for a second. Which one seed to you has the hardest draw? So for me, the toughest draw is, is Baylor. Um, and, and I like we just said, rightfully so. I think the reigning national champs are going to get either the Tar Heels, who just showed last week that they can absolutely compete with NBA-level talent uh, when they beat the daylights out of Duke in, in Cameron Indoor. Um, or they're going to get a shock of smart led Marquette team that we know is just crazy havoc, tough to prepare for. Um, from there you get UCLA who it was a preseason top three team. We don't need an introduction to the Bruins. We know them from last year. Um, and then you get Jaden Ivy, Zach Eady, Purdue team, or the aforementioned Kentucky team um, that I think would be favored over Baylor. Uh, in Philadelphia for, for that for that game. So compounding that, like we just said, Baylor, they're not going to be fully healthy. I don't, LJ Cryer is not going to be back in this tournament. It doesn't appear. And he was their leading scorer until late January. So 
yes, they still had some big wins after that, but they did lose four of their six games without him. So um, it, it's not detrimental. I, I still love Ballard's backcourt. James Akinjo, Adam Flagler are awesome. Uh, Kendall Brown clearly has shown like NBA capabilities. And uh, Sohan and, and Flo Thamba are really good in the paint. But again, this, is, this region is absolutely going to test them if they're going to make the Final Four. And Texas as a six is a tough six. Like, they're no slouch. No slouch. Definitely have talent. So, Baylor, yes. But mine, to me, was Arizona. Arizona's draw for a team that was supposed to be the this number two overall seed it is pretty difficult. I mean, it may not be as deep as Baylor's, but, I mean, Villanova's a tough tournament team that needs to be taken seriously we just talked about the merits of Tennessee potentially being a two seed and you know Jay Billis talking about how they were potentially in line for a one seed right so they're the three okay and then you have you know Illinois is a tough team you know best conference in the uh in the league that to me you know from the top is really tough like I mean Houston is their five like this is a really tough tough draw for Arizona for a team that seemingly dominated all year and you would think would get a, more of the likes of Kansas's draw, which I think has the easiest draw. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you on Kansas. Um, I think that it, it's, it's not that I think that the Midwest Kansas's region is lacking of talent. Right. I mean, but by, by all means you have multiple lottery picks scattered through this region between Jabari, Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray, Tari Eason on LSU. There's a lot of teams um, that have great individual talent, but they have flaws, um, significant flaws. And I think um, that this is a a region where um, a lot of these teams can stumble and and see an early exit. I mean, for Kansas itself, it's, it's road. You get either Creighton or San Diego State. And right there, you're looking at two teams that just lack offensive burst um Creighton one of the youngest teams in division one San Diego State has it turns the ball over than most almost all teams in this field so um I think you have basically a cakewalk through to the second weekend uh then you get Providence who we've seen sputtered late um and I think they played in a ton of close games and we're kind of lucky to win the Big East regular season title um and then um Sorry, and then you get a team that really struggles to get stops in Iowa. I like Iowa quite a bit, but what we've seen with Iowa in the past, like we saw them get destroyed by Oregon last year, this is a Fran McCaffrey team. They take a lot of time off on the defensive end. So that's that. And then you get either Wisconsin, who Johnny Davis is amazing. He is in the top three national player of the year, no doubt about it. Um, but they don't have a lot of depth and they, they sometimes can go into scoring droughts when they need to find JD some assistance. And then you have Auburn and Auburn is, they have potentially the first pick overall. I'm not the NBA guy, but potentially. Right. And, but, but when Wendell Green or Katie Johnson don't hit shots, Auburn struggles, man. They, they look inept at times on offense. Like we saw against Um, A&M. Auburn. Auburn has two guys who are going to go and potentially the top 10 of the draft. Jabari Smith may go one or two or three. Like he's not going any lower than three, but their guards sometimes don't realize 
that they have that guy on their team and then freeze him out at the end of games. I was just going to say that. It's, it's so odd. To me, like Auburn, who was in line for a one, had they won their conference tournament. We can agree on that, right? Yeah. They're like the biggest question mark as this two seed almost just because those guards are so trick or treat. It, it's yeah. When, when, again, when, when, when Wendell Green and Katie Johnson are making their shots and they're getting Jabari the ball in the right spots, it, it's, it's a different team. But again, we've seen them, we've seen them sputter. And, and yeah, I mean, I think USC or Miami the following week, I mean, the following game is going to be a tough one. So um, I definitely do think that Kansas has a really nice draw and I really like their squad as well. So. What do we think about, uh, and obviously Gonzaga got the most respect, but even them, it looks like they got a tougher draw than Kansas. I mean, I know we joke about Tom Izzo not winning. You know, he only won one national championship, but he gets the Sweet 16 all the time. He's a seven, right? Duke has already beaten them. Say what we want about Duke. Uh, I mean, Alabama's a week six. Arkansas is a good four. I mean, UConn's a, a, a tough team. UConn Memphis is has NBA, you know, level talent in, in Duran. Like what uh, I just I find it weird that it's almost like the third of the the fourth best one seed got the easiest draw. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, the third best one seed. And and yeah, Gonzaga did not get any favors. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, just even the following weekend, if they have to play Memphis, that is that is tough. I mean, we've, we watched Memphis during this conference tournament and, and, all, and all season long, actually, since they really threw Imani Bates in the garbage, they've been awesome. Um, and they, who wants to go against all that NBA talent, right? So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think um, Gonzaga got shafted quite a bit as the number one overall seed. Speaking of NBA talent, I know you're not necessarily the big, uh, biggest NBA guy, but Chet Holmgren. Your thoughts on Chet Holmgren real quick. <laughs> I mean, Chet is, as one of my friends puts it every time he steps on the floor, is he is an alien, right? I mean, <laughs> seven feet, he's shooting 42% on, on a lot of attempts. Uh, and he's an elite, he's the elite rim, rim protector in college basketball. Just everything he does is, is so freakish and, unique and I, I I don't know you you can come up with your comps but um he doesn't seem like he doesn't look like anyone I've seen like Evan Mobley but not really uh you know well, Mobley couldn't shoot I, like him from the outside I was just say yeah no no no, no. For, uh, there 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 aren't real comps right like uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac when he was at Florida State shot a lot from three but again it's not there's no one that really looks like Chet Holmgren. So I don't, it's. If you want, this is like the ultimate compliment and I'm not sure. And I, I, again, with a, take this with a grain of salt, everybody, but did you watch the Kevin Garnett Showtime documentary? No. So you're gonna have to fill me in. So if you go back and look at KG in high school and what his build was, he, he wasn't, that much bigger than Chet Holmgren is now. And now again, no one moved as fluidly as, as Kevin Garnett did for somebody that size, 
but but Chet's got a fluidity to him that I didn't really think he had. And the more you watch it, the more it, like it comes out. And and he's really competitive. Like he 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 plays hard all the time, and that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I honestly, if Drew Timmy wasn't on his team, we'd be talking about National Player of the Year type stuff. So it's it's really it's it's bizarre. But again, it's they're they're a great team. But like like we said, until they do it, they're going to be vulnerable to all the critics, right? Yeah, it's a. <laughs> It's about they're they're no longer that plucky that plucky team that you know now they're a blue blood and now it's time for Mark Few to deliver. So we talked about the high seeds, right? We talked about the high seeds that are potentially vulnerable, the ones you know we touched on the twos, the threes. What's a six seed or higher that you think you know looking at the draw can make some serious noise? And by that meaning getting to the Sweet Sixteen or advancing further than that. Okay, so I'm not going to actually. I'm not going to look at the draw too much, but I'm just going to say some teams I like and, and I like them. So that means I can, I think they can get there and I'm not going to go with a six or a seven seed because I think that's boring. So I'll do one from a power conference and then I'll pick one or two from the lower mid majors that I like. And I've watched over the past week um, in their, in their lesser tournaments. Um, so from the power conference, uh, let's go with Virginia tech. Uh, they won the ACC tournament. Um, we see this so often where a team gets hot in their conference tournament, specifically in the high power tournaments like Oregon State last year, for example, um, and then stretches to the big dance. So Mike Young's Hokies are, are, are a threat to do that. This is a really experienced team. Uh, they have a great point guard in Storm Murphy. He's a pesky little guy and great one, two in the paint with Kevin Aluma and Justin Mutz. And then, Hunter Couture is an absolute flamethrower. Anyone who watched that game against Duke um, can see that he can go on a heat check at, at any point. And he did this at multiple times during the course of the ACC season. So they're going to get a Texas team who I know you like, but Texas is a vulnerable team. Um, they, they struggle at times to get buckets as well. Great defensively. Um, but Marcus Carr is a wild player. Um, and they really, they really rely on um, – on Timmy Allen to do a lot. So I think that they, they're, they're right for an upset and Texas has lost three straight. Again, I think they're getting susceptible. They're, they're susceptible to be get lit up from deep and, and Hunter Couture is the type of guy that can do that. And then Purdue, they would get in the next round. So like Purdue is again, very similar to another big 10 team that we talked about Iowa in that they really sometimes get lackadaisical on the defensive end. I mean, Jaden Ivey is a great player, but again, he doesn't almost exert too much effort on the defensive end. And both of their bigs, whether it's Travion or Zach Eady, they don't exactly stretch the floor out to the perimeter. They're monster big dudes. Um, so Purdue lights out offensive team number one in the country, but defensively they, they really struggle. So that's another team. So Virginia Tech as an 11, I think that's an interesting one. Um, and then we're going to go with two mid-majors because those are always fun. And there's a hundred percent certainty that a few of these will break through. I don't know the sweet 16, but you're there's absolutely going to be some upsets in the first round. So first let's go with Vermont. Um, the Catamounts, they have a really strong backcourt, all fifth year players, uh, Ben Shungu, who um, has won the America East in every single one of his five years at Vermont. Uh, they shoot the lights out of the ball, which is very important for a mid-major, right? 
um, from all five spots on the floor. So that's big uh, and really hard to prepare for. Now, um, there's a reason that they are only laying four points to a four seed in Arkansas. So that's big. And then lastly, let's go with the mocks of Chattanooga. I think I texted you about them, but they had an epic tournament final uh, to beat over to beat Furman in overtime. David Jean Baptiste, uh, who's a name I hope we get to hear more of uh, from half court buzzer beater. It was awesome. Uh, DJB and Malachi Smith are really good experienced backcourt. And I keep saying this because experienced guards in the tournament are everything. Um, and then they have Silvio D'Souza, who you should remember his name because he transferred from Kansas, former five-star McDonald's All-American. Um, if I'm Kofi and the Illini, I don't know if I want to see that across the floor. So uh, Chattanooga, Vermont are two teams that uh, I'd like to see more of in March. I got my eye on, um, we said six seeds or higher. We're going to go back to Baylor's region, Murray State. I know they have, I know they have Kentucky potentially in the second round, but you know, their Ken Palm top twenty-five team can you know Absolutely. Cal hasn't necessarily delivered big in the, in the tournament recently, so they're a team I have my eye on. That was one. Uh, the second one is we're doing it again. The old bag we're doing it again. Sister Jean, Loyola Chicago. Let, let, let's do this. I, I feel like it's every year now, but I, I think they're gonna, they can make a run. Uh, I know we talked about, we extolled the virtues of Villanova, but it, this isn't your, the same Villanova team as, as we've seen in years past. And the other one was USC. USC can, make, can be interesting because, I, again, it, it's, it's almost like a bet against Auburn and – and Auburn's guards having an off night where if UFC beats Miami and Miami's not great, they can, they can catch, you know, Auburn, you know, one time. So those were my three that, that stood out to me, um, you know, at first glance. I like that quite a bit. I think that Loyola Chicago Ohio state game is going to be one of the best games in the first round. So I'm excited for that one. It, yeah, it should, the sister Jean thing. It's like enough already. Okay. So. Now that we're getting down to the nitty gritty. All right. That's all cute. Whatever. Your final four picks. Uh, final four picks. Let's go with. So starting in the West region, let's just move around. So starting in the West region, um, I, I do think Gonzaga does end up uh, cutting down the nets in the West region and, and making it to New Orleans. I think, again, they're too strong. Uh, top to bottom, I, yes, they they have they sputtered, uh, particularly against that St. Mary's team. But I, I kind of like the way it breaks through for them, and and I do think that they'll 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 get there. Um, in Does the Michigan region, State beat Duke in the second round? I I don't think so. I actually I part of me thinks that Davidson has what it takes to beat Michigan State. Davidson um, is strong. They looked they looked. They made me very angry yesterday when I wanted them to, to beat Richmond uh, in the 8-10 final. But Davidson is a solid team, and I think that Davidson's going to give Izzo all he has. Um, so, and Davidson has is closer to that arena in Greenville. So I think that that might they might have a lot of fans out there for that. Um, it, when we move to Baylor, that region, the East in in Philly. I do think that Kentucky is, is too strong when fully healthy. 
Again, that backcourt is awesome. But then when you think about Oscar Shibway, that is your national player of the year. So he's doing things that nobody else has done before from a numbers perspective. Um, he is a double-double machine, um, and he is a vacuum in the paint. And, yes, Murray State, I said they were scared. You should be scared of Murray State. But at the same time, I don't think Cal is going to lose that game. And then I do think there's going to be some upsets that they'll see from the Milwaukee side, and then they'll be able to break through. And whether it's St. Mary's or Baylor or UCLA, I think Kentucky has what it takes and to, uh, to get through. So we have a Kentucky-Gonzaga match on that side of the bracket. Um, moving along, I, I, I do think that Kansas will break through in the Midwest um, out of Chicago and then get to New Orleans. I think that Kansas is a really balanced team. Um, they almost have been flying under the radar a little bit. Uh, we don't talk about Kansas as much because, um, yes, they have Ochai Abaji, and he's probably a lottery pick. And, but we just don't – from other Kansas teams have passed, it doesn't appear we talk about Kansas too much. Um, and, and Kansas is, is really good. And, again, this is, a, this is what, what I thought was the easiest region, um, and I do think Kansas breaks through, um, maybe playing a Wisconsin or – um, or the USC potentially uh, to, to in the Elite Eight. And, and then lastly, in the South region, I think Arizona is, is probably the, the best team in the country. So um, Arizona, to me, uh, if they can get Kirk Kreese back, which I, I think they might be able to get by next weekend, meaning not the first two rounds, but I think that the Seton Hall TCU matchup should be a breeze for them. Um, but I think that Arizona is a team – that has insane depth in the front court between Omar Balo, um, Tubelis, and Christian Coloco. And we really saw it um, with Dalen Terry and his ability to make shots uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. So I really like Arizona to break through and uh, face Kansas in New Orleans. So Kansas, Arizona, Gonzaga, Kentucky, it's very chalky. But that's what I'm going with for now. I've got Gonzaga over Duke in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. I've got Purdue over Murray State. We're, we're getting a little crazy. So I think I'm going to go Purdue in the East. I've got Arizona over Tennessee in the West. I mean, in the South. And the Midwest, I'm going to go with Kansas – Kansas over uh, Kansas over USC. I think USC can make a run here. Um, but I, I so I'm basically the same as you, except I've got Purdue in the East as opposed to Kentucky. And that's basically I'm betting on um, on Ivy to go nuts in the tournament because I partially want the Knicks to draft them. So <laughs> there you go. There, there, there's a little uh, a little um, you know reasoning behind it but he's he's an electric electric talent and then i guess we should make our are we making our national championship picks or of course we're doing it you gotta put it on <laughs> wax and it's gonna look it's gonna odds are it's gonna look bad but uh it's gonna look, it's gonna look bad by thursday morning <laughs> if it looks um, great if it still looks good by friday at 3 p.m you're you feel like you're you're holding a golden ticket Absolutely. So, yeah, I, 
I think that um, on the on the west and east side of the bracket between my Gonzaga and Kentucky picks, um, I'm gonna go with uh, the Zags to go break through and make their national championship game. And on the other side, I, I am gonna go with Arizona again. This is foreshadowing, but I'm gonna pick Arizona to beat Gonzaga. But I just think that Arizona is such a balanced team and they're extremely electric and high flying on offense, very similar to how Gonzaga plays. But I just think that the stable of Arizona bigs um, is, is juxtaposed to Gonzaga. Um, I think they're going to be able to get it done uh, and they don't really sputter as much. And I, I really, yeah, Arizona's battle tested. Arizona's great. And it makes for a great story with, Mark Fuse, former assistant Tommy Lloyd in the national championship and and the assistant overtaking uh, the mentor. I'm like you, last two teams, Gonzaga and Arizona, except we're going to flip it. Mark Few finally gets his, his title. It's time. We believe in Chet Holmgren, if he's going to be the number one pick. And Andrew Nembhard. It's, it, it's time. It's time. This Hasman Higia, as they say in Hebrew, you know, it's time. And I, I think they, he finally, finally gets it done. I mean, I don't think this team is as good as last year's team, but I also think the field is more, you know, easily haveable this year. But then again, we, <laughs> that can easily go up in smoke in about 72 hours. So who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Jordan, wish me luck, by the way, because I'm traveling back from Israel. I get in Thursday morning at 8.50 in the morning in time for all the games to start at 12. So I'm going to, I'm going to battle through some, some jet lag. I'm just going to, you know, it's going to be a fight, but we're, this is what, this is what we train for. Yeah. I, I don't envy that schedule. I have some friends who have a, their games at, you know, 10 p.m. And I feel bad for them, but you're going to be watching that 10 p.m. game on Thursday on zero sleep <laughs> and a lot of coffee and water. Guess, there's, 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 there, may, there may be a nap at some point, but uh, that's what you got to do. That's, what, that's why we train. It's, it's for this time of the year. It's, temper, it's, the, temper the alcoholic beverages because that'll just knock you out. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I, don't, I don't drink on flights anymore. That's that where... No chance on the Purim holiday. Yeah. On the Purim holiday. That's true. We got to, we got to uh, temper the alcoholic beverage as well. Purim holiday. Jordan, this was great, man. We'll probably do a recap after the first weekend. Cause there will be buzzer beaters. We'll probably be wrong about a lot of stuff. Oh, and don't forget to send me the link to the, um, the bracket challenge that, that you're in. So we can, um, Absolutely. Scott Kretzky's uh, Survivor Challenge. You got it. Oh, so good. So good. I, I just, one year I want to win. Just one year. I, I won years ago when Joe Kim Noah's uh, Gators beat Greg Oden's uh, Ohio State Buckeyes in the finals. And I feel like that is, uh, I, I basically cashed in all my luck for this forever and I'll never win again. But yeah. With, with gambling legal in New York now, there's no better time to light your money on fire than this week. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm in Miami. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank, thank uh, goodness. Yeah.
All right, Jordan. Well, we'll um, we'll recap the the opening weekend probably Monday or Tuesday. Really looking forward to it, and thanks again for doing it. And uh, this is it. We're here. Absolutely, man. This is it. Let's go. March is here. All right, take care. Thanks again to recurring guest Mr. Jordan Marks for talking about the bracket, the selection show, doing a little March Madness preview. He's practically going to be a co-host of this show the next couple of weeks. So. Get excited for that. That's episode 148. For the love of the game, take us out. You- we the one kept it cool without it being to the gym. Start acting. Shoot them in like a film and a movie. Go on the map. We ballin' like the Marsh Magnus. All these cops shouldn't get in the tragic. Hold on one to live in lavish. Like I'm playing for the Mavericks. I don't want no for the bitch. It might have made me fuck her even though she average. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.